be doing. All right, based on the number 40, which is kind of where we're centered on, I'm, we're going to spend a little time looking at the number 40. I'll go into one specific passage. But why 40 days? Why, why do we come up with that particular number? And uh, you're going to find, if you go through Scripture, that uh, the Bible mentions that particular number 146 times. That's a lot. Uh, so does it have some specific significance? Well, basically, when you find that number, three specific things usually will pop up in one way or another. It's a time of testing, a time of trial, or even a time of probation. Well, folks, uh, when we look at the, uh, a multiplicity of times it's used, we're just going to look at a couple of these to kind of remind us how God used that number. But uh, what, why are we focusing on the number 40? Well, just like Jesus was tested 40 days and 40 nights, like the uh, rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and times of testing, times of purging, uh, we're looking to do the same thing here as uh, we look to the Lord to do a mighty work, even though uh, some of it is painful and hard. God's judgment of rain, the worldwide flood, we start in Genesis chapter 7, 40 days and 40 nights, catastrophic worldwide flood, which led to the purification, if you will, of this earth and the starting of humanity once again, uh, looking to the Lord. Uh, back in Exodus 16, when the, uh, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, 40 years, a little bit longer than 40 days, 40 years, uh, they ate manna. God supplied food for them, even though uh, they were wandering in the wilderness for that period of time. We're going to spend some time on that issue tonight. Uh, we see Moses on Mount Sinai with God. Here's a good thing. He's, Moses goes up, climbs up the mountain, spends 40 days and 40 nights literally uh, communicating with God and receiving the Mosaic Law. Uh, the spying of the Promised Land, which is exactly where we're going to be tonight, for 40 days, God had sent 12 individuals into the Promised Land to spy it out and to come back and give a report. Twelve individuals go, God expecting them all to be excited about the land that he promised to give the Jewish people. We're going to see that ten of them come back and do nothing but grumble and complain. And God judged Israel for 40 years to wander in the wilderness. And we're going to see why in just a few moments. The Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years definitely came about based on the spying incident, and we'll look at that this evening. What else uh, does the number 40 remind of? of well, uh, the second and third kings, David and Solomon reigned 40 years. Actually, uh, King Saul, the first king, reigned 42 years. Uh, David and Solomon actually did 40 years. Why? Uh, we look at the temptation of Jesus. Here it is again, the, the 40 days and 40 nights. Then we see Jesus Christ himself on the earth before his resurrection, and uh, before his ascension, that is, for 40 days. So why are these significant things? Well, we're going to start looking at that this evening. If you got your Bible, we want to turn to Numbers chapter 13. And just a couple of things to think about as we enter into this particular passage. Even as a Christian, do you ever get fearful and concerned about things to the point where it's like it's more than we can handle, it's more than we can take? We don't want to do this. 
and you maybe it's it, it could be a variety of different things oh the ministry is too hard folks do you know how many churches close down every single year how many pastors quit the ministry how many folks get discouraged and walk away from God's work and it's a continual constant problem that invades the churches today people get overwhelmed they get knocked down and they can't get back up and, and they look at things, instead of saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, they get myopic. They look at the trials and the tribulations and the difficult times that they are going through, and quite frankly, they quit. We're going to see that tonight. As we look at it, and we introduced it already, 10 individuals that are uh, uh, 10 individuals from 10 different tribes of Israel go in and spy out the beautiful promised land, as we're going to see and it's like it's wonderful it's a land flowing with milk and honey but oh it's too scary we can't do it we can't do what god's called us to do god called the jewish people to go to the promised land yet we're going to see that 10 of the 12 spies that god sent into the land refused to go so in verse 1 of uh, numbers 13 and the lord spoke to moses saying send men to spy out the land of canaan which i am giving to the children of israel from each tribe of their fathers, you, will, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. So again, we have these individuals that are being called to go out. So we got a little bit of a map to help us uh, understand a little bit of the geography here. So if we look over to the left, of course, we... Uh, uh, the uh, God's people, the Hebrew children, the children of Israel, start in Egypt. They're there. They've been there for over 400 years, and now God is delivering them. So they start their trek, if you will. They cross the Red Sea and uh, start heading down south to Mount, Mount Sinai, which, of course, is where we just talked a bit about Moses spending time with God himself. Well, then they start the trek north, and they get into what's known as the Paran Desert, and here's where the scenario is going to take place in that part. Now, if you look just a little bit north, you see Israel up there. Of course, and uh, I just, uh, I guess the time is right uh, when it comes to talking about Israel for a few moments. We talked a bit about it this morning. So what's taking place there? Well, uh, uh, again, things have died down a bit, but they're starting to, uh, it looks like it's starting to escalate again. Uh, about, well, Getting close to two days ago now, uh, the southern border was attacked by Hamas. Uh, the Gaza Strip, which, uh, uh, well, it's not on this particular picture. If you remember this morning, those of you that were here, uh, in the southwestern south portion of Israel, just a little piece of strip in the land of Israel, is where Hamas is. And uh, that's all Palestinian run. And the issue being, uh, unfortunately, the Jewish people gave that land to the Palestinians back in one of the previous, uh, if you will, peace treaties with them. Quite frankly, a very, very bad move on Israel's part uh, because the, the Palestinians have grown, their terrorist group has, has grown. So Hamas, which is the main group that you keep hearing about, is the southern terrorist group. There's another terrorist group which also starts with an H called Hezbollah. Hezbollah is on the northern part of Israel. So here's what uh, appears to be taking place based on the reports so far, and much, much more is coming to light as this war is unfolding. 
Iran, which of course is one of the major players in the Islamic world, basically had been meeting since August with the leaders of Hezbollah and Hamas and was planning this particular invasion out. One of the, if you've been watching some of the reports, one of the terrorists uh, from Hamas was caught by the Israeli soldiers and was interrogated and the person said, man, he says, you know, uh, we've been planning this invasion for a year. And he said, you know, the IDF, the Israel Defense Force and your intelligence systems, we were absolutely shocked when we came to the border and there was no resistance there. We just basically cut the fence down and drove our motorcycles through, our, our, our uh, vehicles through. We went into Starot, just, I mean, and literally they killed, murdered hundreds of folks. Uh, right now there's the death toll for Israelis is standing somewhere around 700, uh, Palestinians somewhere around 400. That toll, of course, is going to dramatically rise in the near future. But uh, uh, the issue was, and, and it's, this has been, this conflict has been going on since the time of Genesis, and uh, uh, where we have the Jewish people that uh, have been fighting, if you will, against uh, uh, the Arabs, Palestinians, and, and all of these things that are going on. We're not going to get into detail uh, tonight how all that panned out and why this conflict still exists <laughs> nearly uh, 6,000 years later. But, or 4,000 years later, but uh, uh, this horrific thing is taking place. We don't know what's going to happen. Those of you that have uh, signed up that are planning to go to Israel in May, obviously uh, we have no idea what's going to be taking place right now. Uh, multiple tour groups are in Israel as we speak. Uh, planes are all shut down. There's no in or out of Tel Aviv. Uh, so it's a very disastrous time uh, for Israel. 1973 was the last big conflict known as the Yom Kippur War, and uh, that happened about, well, literally almost today, 50 years ago, and this is the, a much worse incursion that just took place than the one in 1973. So we're looking for uh, a potential long haul in Israel in order for them to regain control, which of course is going to happen. You say, well, how do you know that? Because God's not done with the Jewish people, and God will never be done with the Jewish people. Uh, will they be assaulted? Yes. Will they have uh, a wars? Yes. Will uh, uh, there will be a gigantic war that will come upon the Israeli people? The answer is yes. You say, well, how do you know that? Because prophecy uh, makes it very clear. Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks about all the Islamic nations that surround Israel will attack her one day. Uh, again, if you were here this morning, I uh, made reference, and I'll tell it one more time because we have several folks that weren't here uh, in the morning. I received a, uh, yesterday a call from another pastor, and uh, he said, uh, Rich, do you, do you think this is the start of the Gog-Magog War of uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39? And uh, I, I said, well, I said, no, I, I can't say that it is at this point, and here's why. That's part of the, the Jewish prophetic calendar in Ezekiel. It's not part of the church age calendar. Uh, so that cannot happen while me and you are on this earth. However, I said, if me and you meet in the air today, then it, then it very well could be the start of the Gog-Magog war. And I, and I mean that dead serious. Uh, I told the little thing, and I got a little emotional over it. I, when he called me, all the, I mean, I've been preaching this stuff for year after year after year about the rapture and the coming of it. And uh, it never hit me like it did yesterday. Here we have a massive attack that's taking place in Israel. 
And here comes a pastor that says, is this the beginning of the prophetic calendar basically involving Israel? And I was like, wow, what if it is today? What if the rapture answered? I was pulling out of uh, uh, where we were staying with my wife and I, and she was staying uh, at the particular place we were at. I was coming to see my son work on some business things, and I literally, all of a sudden, I kind of froze in my tracks, and it's like I didn't want to move. It's like, what if Jesus comes back today? What if today's the rapture? And uh, I don't want to be away from my wife today. I, I mean, it hit me that hard. What if it's today? And folks, it could be this week. It could be today. It could be before the service ends. Uh, again, for those that are visiting new uh, uh, and didn't hear this this morning, the next major event is uh, God coming to take the church age saints home. First Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, should it happen in our generation, and very well could, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them where? In the clouds, in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Folks, that could happen any moment. You say, well, how, how could you even think that? Well, folks, if, if the rapture happens today, uh, uh, all the things taking place in the Middle East are going to explode literally uh, into Israel being attacked by all of those nations that surround her. So is this the one? Don't know. None of us will know. Uh, the only way we'll know is when all of a sudden we're all watching each other f fly up in the air to go see Jesus, and that'll be a great day. Uh, that day's coming. Could be soon. All right, so uh, uh, again, we keep praying for Israel, keep praying for peace, and uh, whether we just don't know. We just got to sit tight and see what God's going to be doing over the next several weeks, months, days, years, whatever it's going to take. All right, so we're talking about God again. Let's go back to the verses we were at. God says, listen, I want to get uh, uh, basically a person from each tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to go into Canaan. I want you to go into the promised land and spy it out and then come back and tell uh, the people what you saw. All right, so they're basically down in the Paran Desert. He, this is where they're getting instructed as to what to do, and now they're going, these 12 spies are going to go up into Israel. Now, here's the two individuals that we want to center on tonight. We got 10 naughty boys, quite frankly. We got two that do the right thing. From the tribe of Judah, an individual named Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Caleb, you want to remember that name. And if you name your boy Caleb, you've done a good thing. The next one, he says, from the tribe of Ephraim. Now, God changes his name here. In, in the Hebrew, they're calling him Hoshea, but actually uh, it's the name Joshua, which you're very familiar from. So we're going to see 10 people that do wrong. We're going to see two people that do what God instructed them to do. So we're going to see here at the bottom that Joshua and Caleb are the only two spies who supported God's command to enter the promised land. This is a huge issue. It's a massive issue. It's going to cost potentially hundreds of thousands of lives because of the disobedience of the ten and only the obedience of the two. Numbers uh, 13.25. We're going to be skipping uh, through many verses or we, uh, we'll never get done on time. But I want to get to the, the key issues here. So here's what happens. The 12 spies come back. So I'm summarizing all the verses in between here. They come back, and here we come to verse 25. 
And they returned from spying out the land after how long? 40 days. Now, folks, I'm, I, what I'm going to suggest here, and why I like the, the number 40 right here, is we're centering on, if you will, what Joshua and Caleb did. We're expecting God to do something great. We're expecting him to give victory, if you will, uh, on harvest. But what happens when God's people, and uh, again, this is application, what happens when God's people turn away from the Lord? They stop following him when they say, ah, this can't be done. It's too hard. It's too difficult. We don't believe God can take care of this. We don't believe God could do it. That's exactly what these tens of 12 spies did. God isn't big enough. He's not strong enough. He's not powerful enough to give us the land. Verse 26, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. It's actually Kadesh Barnea, which we'll see. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Like, man, guys, it's phenomenal. We drove through. We went through the vacation property. We saw the fruit. We saw the trees. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful place. They, uh, the Bible tells us they got these gigantic uh, carried on sticks, if you will, big giant uh, uh, vines of, or big uh, clusters of grapes that they brought back. It's like, wow, the land is marvelous. There, there's a massive amount of food. It's beautiful. It's great. So what happens? Well, let's go to where they started at. So again, we're up in, uh, at Kadesh Barnea. That's, uh, that's the place now which is going to become infamous for this particular scene that we're looking at. So the, the, the whole hundreds of thousands of Jewish people that had left Egypt are now, if you will, in Kadesh Barnea, waiting to go north into Israel. And God sends, tells uh, Moses to get these spies to go up into the land, spy it out, take a look at what's there, and get ready to go. I mean, let's get charged up, get out there, tell us, tell, uh, tell the folks what you saw, and then let's go possess the land. Well, what happens? Numbers 13, 27, and they told him and said, we went to the land. And by the way, every time you see the land in the Old Testament, almost every time, it's referring to what? It's referring to Israel, the land. It, it's over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. So they, they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they walk into big giant clusters of grapes, all the other things that they picked up in the land and snuck back over to Kadesh Barnea. Well, what else happens? Nevertheless, uh-oh, that's a bad word here. Nevertheless, you got to be honest, folks. Yeah, we got some good eating coming up. Take a look at this fruit. Take a look at the, the, the things that we were able to secure from the land. But we got to be honest. This is a losing cause. Can't do it. No way. No how. Well, Why? What's the problem? Well, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, remember now, we're, we're way off into numbers. If you go back to Genesis chapter 6, we're not going to do it. It talks about the Nephilim. 
The Nephilim were giants also in the land. God actually destroyed the earth over the Nephilim uh, and only had the eight souls survive. So these are not descendants, if you will, of the uh, uh, Nephilim, the giants that existed back in Genesis 6, but uh, coming from the descendants of Anak, here's what happens. Verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Here's what the spies are telling the, the Jewish people. Here's what they're telling the leadership. Listen, you got to listen to us. These people are not to be messed with. We are not strong enough. We are not big enough. We cannot handle the battle. We cannot go into that land. I don't care what God said. I don't care what God ordered us to do. This is ridiculous. It's way out of our pay grade. Not happening. Well, so what do we have? When he, they're starting to describe various people groups that were scattered throughout the land of Israel. They're down in Kadesh Barnea, and they run into the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites, and they're like, wow, these, these I mean, <laughs> they way outnumber us. These are military strongholds. These are people with might and power. We cannot take these cities. There's no way. We'll not be able to beat these people up. We'll not be able to overcome them. Because why? Because God isn't able. Because God isn't able to take you through the tough times. Because God isn't able to give you victory when it looks like there's no victory in place. And God wasn't happy with the people. So we look at these, all these different groups, all these different peoples, and it got scary. Now, folks, if you lived in Israel right now, maybe you gotta, you'd have a reason to be a little bit scared, a little bit concerned, not knowing if you're going to get out of the country in one piece. And when we take it down to Union Grove, Wisconsin, when you take it down to Yorkville or Kansasville or Racine or Kenosha or a, a, a Milwaukee County, uh, uh, the lands that surround us, and, and we look at them and it's like, wow, this is too much. We can't handle these people. What happens if they get mad at us if we start sharing with them about Christ? And folks, how many of us, and be serious, but look, I'm not asking you to raise hands. This is, just think about yourself. How many times have you frozen up when you knew you should have talked to somebody? How many times did you have a track in your wallet or in your uh, purse or in your coat or whatever it was, and you go, but it's like, man, you know, I really feel like I uh, led to, and you can't even, you can't do it. You freeze up. And it's like you get scared. And it's like something as simple as that. Well, here God's saying, listen, I don't care that there's giants in the land. I don't care that it looks like it's an impossible task. I need you to do it. Well, they said no. So, uh, again, just to give you a little comparison here, it's a little hard, of course, to see, but all those particular places, it's going to take 40 years for the Jewish people to get over to the second map. It should have taken a couple of days. They should have walked into the promised land and uh, uh, received all their land and the allocation of the land, but because of these 10 individuals that said, no, we cannot do it, 40 years of judgment. You say, seriously, these 10 people caused that much damage. Absolutely they did. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. Then Caleb, he's like, oh, wait a second. He quiets the people before Moses and said, 
Let us go up at once and take possession, for ye are well able to overcome it. Caleb says, man, you ten guys, would you hush? You're upsetting the people. You're setting them in a wrong direction. You're taking away from what God said could be done. You're naysayers. You're, you're grumbling. You're complaining. And, and you're doing, quite frankly, really rotten leadership. God said, this is our land. Let's rise up and take it. But, oh boy, remember the word nevertheless a few verses ago? But, verse 31, the men had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Do you remember in the Bible that it says, when we are weak, he is strong. And they weren't buying it. They weren't buying that God was able to deliver them from these people. They weren't buying that God would overcome the enemy. Verse 11, Philippians chapter 4 for Christians. Not that I speak in regard to need, Paul said. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. What's he saying? Paul says, listen, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm hurting, when I'm in the most humblest of positions, when nothing seems to be going right, when the bills aren't getting paid, when the food isn't on the table, when my boss is giving me a hard time, when my family seems to be falling apart, and everything is just falling apart, I know how to be abased. But I also know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, folks, I want you to grab a hold of this next verse. Here's the application out of what we're looking at tonight. What's the next word? What's the first pronoun in verse 12? <laughs> nope, that's not it. <laughs> What's the first pronoun in verse 12? I. I have people all the time that say, well, that's, that's, that's a self-centered verse. That, that doesn't really mean what it says. No, it means exactly what it says. What's the first word, the first pronoun in verse 13? I. What's the next word? Can. I can. Now, we're going to put a caveat on that I can. But uh, I've heard so many people say, listen, that's that, uh, you, can't, you can't say it like that. You can't, you can't put an emphasis on humanity. Well, folks, God does. Bible says, I can. Paul says, I can do all things what? Through Christ. Now, there's the caveat. But he's putting the, if you will, the responsibility on whom? It's on God, but who else? He's putting it on us. I can. Ten people said, I can. God's not able to deliver me, if you will, from the trials and the troubles that we'll face if we go into the promised land. Folks, might I say that it was nothing more than excuse making. It was nothing more than saying, well, I can't because. God's not looking forward to us saying, I can't because. What God wants us to look at is saying, I can because Christ does what? He's the one that provides me strength. So we put the onus on God. We look to God's strength. But does that mean that now we, we have no responsibility? It's all on God. Let him do the work. That's the, and, and I don't mean to be unkind, but that's the Calvinist way of evangelism. You say, what does that mean? 
The Calvinists believe it's all on God. It's not man's responsibility to tell anyone about Christ. If God wants somebody to get saved, he's got to make it happen. Well, according to my Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, God called us his what? His ambassadors. He said, it's on you, Christian, to go out and tell folks about Christ. Now, uh, of course, we can't save somebody, but he said, we plant, we water. And God says, after you, Christian, plant, after you, Christian, water, then I'll bring forth the increase. Now, maybe that's through a gospel track. Maybe it's through talking to somebody. Maybe it's through a radio show. Maybe it's through a Christian TV show. Maybe it's through you talking to someone at home or at school. And, and, and here's we have 10 people that said, we can't do this because they put the total onus on who? Themselves. They just dismissive of God. God can't get us through the wilderness. He's not going to take care of us. He's not going to protect us. He's not going to help us overcome the enemy. Well, folks, may I suggest that God will get you through uh, uh, any enemy that comes your way. God is powerful, and he says, listen, uh, uh, Paul says, I, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to go through suffering. I know how to go through times of, of great joy and pleasure. I know how to be hungry. I know how to suffer need, and I also know how to eat when the food's around. And, God, and Paul says, listen, I can. And by the way, you can. Don't allow anyone including old smutty face Satan, to say you're not able to do something. Did you, did you catch that? Don't ever let anyone tell you you cannot do something that God has called you to do. Just came to mind. How many of you ever heard of a, a dairy, dairy company, for the most part, Borden? Right, it's, I mean, it's back in the day, it was was, was uh, you used to hear about boarding a lot more than you do now. I told you uh, uh, those that were here several months ago about a particular individual. When I was in Egypt, I went to one of the Borden's tombs related to the owner of the Borden company. That individual that ended up in Egypt, believed he was called by God to be a missionary. The wealth of the Borden family was waiting for him. They're like, if you take this ridiculous mission, you not see a dime of our money. He believed with all his heart that God had called him to go to Egypt to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He left home not getting one dime of that money, not ever going to see the fortune, and he goes to Egypt, and he begins to share the gospel, and quite frankly, his life was caught short. An individual who could have been a multimillionaire, I went to his graveside with the tour group. His grave was um, fully covered in a, in a big stone. It was underneath several inches of dirt, several inches of fallen leaves. Someone grabbed a brush from the bus and wiped the grave clean so you could see it. He gave it all. He gave up everything. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I'll give up the fortune. I'll give up the fame. I'll give up the, uh, the million-dollar mansion, so to speak, because God has called me, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't need your money. I just need to do what God's called me to do. Folks, do you feel called to do something for God? Verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up. Uh, but the men said, uh, uh, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Folks, do you know the damage that can be done when people give bad reports? When people, instead of uh, of being positive and being pro uh, uh, the Lord and being pro what God can do. It's like, no, nah, it's, too, it's too dismal, it's too hard, it's too this, it's too that. And, and all of a sudden, uh, people, instead of being excited and saying God can do great things and God can win folks to uh, Christ and God can use His people, all of a sudden it's all negativity. This is a really negative statement, but I hate negativity. <laughs> I just do. How many of you like to be around people that like to beat you up? I hope nobody. How many of you like to be around somebody that's always, I don't know how we're going to get through this house, just grumbling and complaining and everything's naysayer. I mean, when you're around people like that, and they do exist, I trust not here, but they do exist, and and you run into folks like that, and, and it's like, you just feel awful. I mean, they bring you down. And, and uh, children of Israel, they come, they give a bad report of the land. Well, folks, do you know what? Think about this for a moment. Let's get real practical for a minute. How many of you, and this is not a show of hands, this is a rhetorical question. You could hear a hundred good things in a row. And you go to school, you go to work, wherever it is, and not, everything's all good. And all of a sudden, one person, one person says something that gets under your skin and really affects you negatively. 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 You know what's going to stick with you that day? That one stinky negative thought. And it's in there, and it grinds, and it grinds, and it grinds. I mean, you just had maybe 100 good things in a row, but that one comment, that one nasty thing that was said, and I always, we've done this many times here, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It's the biggest lie I ever heard. You see, sticks and stones, when they break your bones, they heal up and you keep moving on. We know people, maybe you're one of them, that somebody, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a school teacher, maybe it was somebody you knew, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a youth leader, maybe it was a a, a friend that all of a sudden said something and it cuts you to the core and and all of a sudden it's it's just, it, it eats you up and it hurts and it's painful and that's exactly what these 10 people did. They destroyed, they destroyed hundreds of thousands of lives because of their negativity. This is where we go back to what Mama taught all of us. If you haven't got something good to say, don't say anything at all. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land. God's land, the land, the promised land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies 
is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Okay, I'll get, let, let's give him a little bit of let's give him a little bit of play here. All right, so you walk in, and uh, I mean, take it. A lot of our young people are here tonight, and, and uh, maybe you're playing a football game or you're playing a basketball game or a volleyball game and, and you walk into the gym and you do one of these numbers it's like everybody's 6'5 everyone's built like a tank <clears throat> and it's like good night we'll never be able to beat them says who says who they're bigger they're stronger they look tougher they look meaner they look more athletic well you know who's gonna win the team that has the most drive. The team that says, I don't care how big they are. I don't care how small they are. We're going to win. We're going to win. Uh, and uh, Steve's not here tonight, but uh, he's working. But uh, you look at, uh, and that's what coaches do. And I believe that's a lot. And, and, I, and I really love what, what's happening here in the, in the sports programs we have. And by the way, the sports programs aren't just for sports. They're to help disciple young people and, and help them to walk with God. And sports is, is a wonderful part of that. And I appreciate Steve and, and Lori and, and others that help coach in these different places. And, and it's like, you go out there and give your best. Folks, I couldn't believe when I went to the softball games this summer and we came out with first place. I mean, last year it was like, oh, they... And this year they came out swinging and hitting and, I mean, you know why? Because I watched Steve walking around. Hey, guys, high five. I mean, it, it gets them pumped up. Folks, just the opposite happens. Imagine if you had a coach and the coach came in and said, oh, boy, <laughs> guys, yeah, you know, we're, this is going to be a rough game. I don't know that we're going to be able to win this. How do you think the players are going to feel? I mean, you just take them right down. And, and here's the, you got these individuals that come in with a bad report. Uh, this land devours the people, verse 33. Then we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our sight. And so we were in their sight. This is the leadership. This is the people. God said, listen, you go out there, you, you come back and you pump the people up and get them excited about harvest gathering. Folks, if I came in here and said, listen, you know, we're going to do this harvest gathering thing, but I don't believe God can do it in this community. I mean, it's so hard. There's Catholics and there's Lutherans and there's Protestants and there's this and there's that. And, and I just don't think we can do it. There's other good churches around. And I, I just... How, would you be all pumped up to do something for God? Of course not. It's like, wait a second. You can do this. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Folks, we've got to rely on Christ. That's why we want 40 days. Not to go spy out the land and come back and give a bad report. We need 40 days of praying and begging God and saying we can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth us. But we've got to do our part. God will do his part. He'll give us the strength. He'll give us the tenacity. He'll give us the encouragement to move forward. So uh, 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 we, we just felt like little glasshoppers. Well, folks, and I've heard this statement. I probably shouldn't say it, but I won't say it. 
I've heard uh, uh, folks say, listen, man, boy, when I get pumped up and I'm walking with God and God's with me, I can charge hell with a what? There it is. I can charge hell with a squirt gun. I mean, you get so fired up, it's like I want to serve God. I believe the power of God is here. And man, we're ready to go. Folks, that's the way I believe God wants us to be every single day. Every single day, charged up, ready to go, ready to do what he's called us to. Numbers 32, 6, And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has what? God said, I've given you the land. God is saying, I will provide the people. I will give you the souls. I will do my part. But I need you to do what? Our part. Your part. Excuse making is not God's plan. Which is why for 40 days, starting last Wednesday, every single day we're asking folks to pray, ask for God's help, ask for God's power, ask for God's protection, ask for him to do his part as we do ours, and look forward to what God can do. You say, Pastor, do you honestly believe that? If I didn't believe it, I'd step down right now and never walk back up here. Yeah, I believe it with every fiber of my being that God can do this. And I'm looking forward to it, and I'm excited about it. And that's why we're going to do our part as God does his. Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eschol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. Oh, catastrophic failure. Catastrophic failure. This is going to cost the Jewish people horrifically because of this catastrophic failure. You mean, what, what do you mean? So the Lord's anger, wait a second, the Lord's what? You say, can God get angry? Ooh. God's anger is no joke. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath saying. I mean, we're talking serious, serious <laughs> statement here. Surely none, catch, the, catch what's going to happen here. Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt, from 20 years old and above, shall see what? The land. What's the land? Israel, the promised land. If you are 20 years old or older, you can count your life over. You will never enter the promised land. I will not give it to you because you agreed not to follow what God had stated. From 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have what? They haven't wholly followed me. Now, folks, this is Old Testament. It's a tough situation that God said hundreds of thousands of people that left the land of Egypt would never set foot in the promised land. Why? Because of the disobedience of these 10 individuals. They ruined it for hundreds of thousands of people when they used their authority, when they used their abilities, when they used their leadership to discourage God's people. What's the lesson for me and you today? Those of you, whether you're a deacon, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're in youth group leadership, whether you teach a, a Bible class, whether you talk to other folks and, uh, uh, as a servant of God, and he looks at every single one of us here because every single one of us has different gifts that God wants to use for his glory. 
And if you come and instead of encouraging folks and moving them forward and trying to help them in their walk with God and become negative and discourage people and cause discord, oh, God says that's serious stuff. And God's anger is aroused. Proverbs 6, we've talked about it before. Turn to Proverbs 6 for a moment. We're almost done. Proverbs chapter 6. Genesis, Leviticus, Proverbs, somewhere in there. No. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed. If somebody said, oh, is that right? No, then we got a problem. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 6. Now, I didn't write this, okay? So after we read this, please don't get mad at me. If it upsets you, it's because maybe God's convicted us. This is a tough statement here. Uh, Proverbs 6.6. 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, you old sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, he shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart, he devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Now stay tuned, there's more. These six things the Lord what? Whoa. The Lord what? Hates. hates. Uh, that's a pretty strong statement. God actually hates things? Yeah, let's, let's find out what he hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. All right, these are tough statements. Put your seatbelts on. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Wonder how Hamas is doing with that. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. Most of those we probably haven't done. And I hope we haven't done the following one. And one who sows what? Discord among brethren. Folks, when those ten spies came back and they sowed discord among the brethren, it cost a hundred, several hundred thousand people who had come out of the land of Egypt, it cost them their entrance into the promised land. They would stay in the wilderness until they literally died and not enter into God's land because they sowed discord among God's people. Now, folks, that's why we constantly here at this particular church, it's like, boy, we better make this the church that what God's love is. It's got to be built on God's love. It's not built on hammering people. It's not built on uh, demeaning people. It's not built on sowing discord among folks. You say, Pastor Rich, uh, have, have you ever uh, looked at a family and said, boy, I sure wish they weren't here. No. No. You say, Pastor Rich, do you, do you love all the folks that come to Union Grove Baptist Church? I love every single one. A few of you are harder than others to love, but well, I love every one of you. <laughs> you know, I mean that with all 
uh, seriousness. I love the folks, and it's like good night. If somebody's struggling, if they have a, a, a sour face on when they walk in here, what do they need? They need some encouragement. They need somebody to stand by them. They need somebody to help them. Listen, you know why people uh, come in and they're hurting and why people are sometimes nasty and upset? It, it's because they've been treated poorly. Something happened to them. They've been damaged in some way, and God is there, and he needs God's people to rise up and say, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and look to uh, the Lord to do that. The Lord's anger was aroused. Why? Uh, Joshua chapter 5. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. That is the epitaph, if you will, of the ten. Thousands and thousands and thousands of lives wrecked and ruined. The mighty men who refused to go in and do as God stated he would give them the victory. They refused to trust in the Lord. They refused to follow him. Died in the wilderness because of their disbelief. Might I say this? Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to with the cross of going on before. Listen, folks, that's exactly what we need to be. You say we're small in number. Yeah, that's true, small in number. On a Sunday morning, a good day, somewhere close to 300 on a great day. You say, well, 300, that's nice and nice to have in a church. It's nice to have in a church, but it's a small number when you're looking at millions of people in our communities around us between Kenosha, Racine, Milwaukee, those within driving distance were a small number. You say, man, how are we, how we going to win this war? Well, folks, you don't win a war when you retreat. <laughs> you don't win the game if you forfeit. You don't get the trophy if you say, nope, uh, they're too big, they're too strong, uh, we can't handle it, we can't do it. You know, folks, can we rise up like a mighty army? Can we spend the next several weeks praying that God will do marvelous and wonderful things in our community? Can we ask God to do wonderful things as we look to Him for a revival in our own hearts? Can we look to Him as we look to other people and instead of being upset with people, uh, uh, hurting people, ridiculing people, making false allegations of people, trying to ruin people's lives because it makes us look better, can we instead say, perish that thought, we're going to be a Joshua, we're going to be a Caleb, we're going to march forward, we're going into the land as strong as we can be because I can do all things through who strengtheneth me. Father, thank you for your love for us. Father, help us to be a Joshua. Help us to be a Caleb who did enter the promised land. Only the two of the twelve that were able to allow by God to enter the land because they believed what you said. Father, would you help us to be a mighty army? Oh, we may be small in numbers compared to the millions around us that have rejected Christ at least up to this point. But Father, would you help us to reach out? Would you help us to uh, over the next several weeks to do everything possible we can to pray, to seek your face, to ask for your power on our lives so that as we go out, 
and invite folks to come to church, as we invite folks uh, to read a tract, as we invite them to come even to harvest gathering, that folks we might, uh, uh, that Lord, we might see uh, a mighty harvest for you. Lord, this is about you. We want to see every single person in our community, every single person that we walk into, whether they're happy, whether they're sad, whether they're grouchy, whether they're rejoicing. We need to see every single person as a soul for whom Jesus Christ died. Father, would you give us a love for souls? Would you give us a love for souls, please? We need it. We need revival in our own hearts. And Lord, we know if we love people and we humble ourselves before you, that you'll give us a great revival right here at this little church. And Father, then you'll allow us to go out and tell others the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why our heads are bowed, those watching on the internet tonight, if you're to die right now, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you died, you go to heaven. We were talking to Christians this evening. A Christian is one who knows beyond a shadow of a doubt if they were to die, that they would go to heaven. Do you know that? Are you absolutely positive if you were to die tonight that you'd go to heaven? If you say, Pastor, I, I honestly, i got to be honest, I don't know if I died, i go to heaven. Well, I'm going to tell you the gospel. It'll only take a minute. The gospel's so simple that even a little child can understand it. You say, well, what's the gospel? The Bible says, number one, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners because God made it very clear that there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23. And Jesus looked down at us and he knew that we needed a way to get to heaven and we couldn't do it on our own, so he sent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came down, died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Why did Jesus do that? Because we couldn't save ourselves. There's nothing on this earth we could do. There's no person who can live the life that will get them to heaven. We've been lied to so often by so many people and even churches that tell us we get to heaven by what we do. It's not by what we do, it's by what Jesus did. The Bible makes it very clear, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that's each one of us, that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection should not perish or go to hell, but have everlasting life. Would you receive that free gift tonight? You say, how do I receive the gift? It's by faith and faith alone. There's nothing else you do except place your faith in what Jesus did and accept that free gift of eternal life. Would you do that today if you've never done it? Would you accept that free gift? I'm going to say a prayer of thanksgiving in a moment. The prayer is not what saves you. It's the faith you place in Christ, in Christ alone. Did you do it this evening? Well, I want to pray, a, as I said, a prayer of thanksgiving. You can say it along with me if you so choose. And thankful for what Jesus did in your life tonight if you received his free gift of eternal life. Dear God, I knew this evening that I wasn't perfect, that I was a sinner. And I hoped I'd get to heaven, but I didn't have any assurance that I'd go to heaven. And now I understand that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead. And I now understand that the reason Jesus did that was to pay for my sins. And I now by faith received that free gift of eternal life by placing my faith in what Jesus did alone on the cross for me through his death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for saving me and promising to take me to heaven when I die. Father, seal decisions tonight and all God's people said.
One last quick thing, if you're watching tonight on the internet, uh, we have our website, myugbc.com. It's on the screen. If uh, you've trusted Christ tonight, would like to get some help in uh, your walk with God, please email us here or call us here at Union Grove Baptist Church, and we'd be glad to help you as you start your walk with the Lord. Josh?